Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Rome Versus, episode 146. Jimmy and I here recording on uh, Wednesday evening in the, the United States. So it is a few days after the match. We apologize. We had some scheduling issues this week with uh, work commitments and stuff. And then last week with the international break, uh, Jimmy wasn't called up for his national team. So he got a vacation gifted by Bren, just like uh, some of the players get their vacations over the international break. So we took last week off. Um, I think it was a much needed reset after the way Roma started this season, but Jim, I mean, you're back, and Roma is certainly back, so I didn't get to see the match live, unfortunately. I had a family commitment, but I was getting those updates on my phone, and it was yeah. certainly the show that It uh, was definitely a show. Um, I'm going to be honest and say that this is maybe the best way that Roma could come out with four points out of four matches um, to start the season. Uh, it leaves me feeling more optimistic than I think I would have felt with even like six points and two kind of one zero wins and two losses. Uh, I would say that, you know, there's a sense that things are ticking now and uh, you could see fluid motion, especially with players actually available. Um, I think that's really the key that this was the first time that we really saw the starting 11 that I think Thiago Pinto and Mourinho envisioned when they were putting together this squad over the summer. And am I expecting a 7-0 win every week? No. But at the same time, uh, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, I think this showed us the upper bounds of what this squad is able to do. And, I mean, I felt this way even kind of in the worst of the first three matches. I think that this is a squad that's built to go super deep in the Europa League, and it's a squad that's built to challenge for top four football. And I think yeah. that we saw, I think we saw a side that looks like it can do those things um, against Empoli. Uh, there wasn't really much to say about the defensive job by Roma, simply because it was kind of, you know, open and shut case on that end for the Giallo Rossi. But I will say that to me, the midfield stood out the most um, watching that match. I would say, like, the combination of Renato Sanchez and Leandro Paredes, fantastic. Uh, I think it, honestly, based off of how good they looked, and granted it's against Empoli, it does raise questions in my mind about who the starting midfield will be going forward because both of them looked perfect for the system that Mourinho is trying to put forward. And, I mean, that makes sense based off of, you know, how much money they're throwing at them, both in terms of actual money and in terms of like the financial fair play calculus. I remember reading that for some reason, even though Rome was only playing, paying about half of Sanchez's and Paredes salaries, that it goes in like the financial fair play calculus as if we were playing the full thing. So this, it's a major investment on Roma's part to have both Sanchez and Paredes in the squad. And that makes me think that they'll be getting a lot of playtime if they can stay healthy. Uh, combine that with, I will say, I, I did say that the defense, well, there wasn't much to talk about, but I will say that I was pretty impressed by Evan Indica, who made his uh, first start for the club. It wasn't anything super special, uh, but it didn't have to be, obviously, with a 7-0 win. Uh, and then, you know, there's just some obvious things, like Brian Cristante, that was a wonder goal. Uh, I really can't overstate how impressive he looked beyond the wonder goal, though. Uh, just that that starting midfield was very, very, very impressive. 
and I don't think it'll, it's not like it's going to push Lorenzo Pellegrini to the bench, but it does give Mourinho more options when it comes to rotation, when it comes to saying, you know, Pellegrini, I think one of his biggest issues in the first two seasons with Mourinho was that he was one of the players that Mourinho really trusted and as a result kind of got run to the ground. Uh, he would have, I, I, I think you probably remember this, Steve, the first two months of uh, the 2021-2022 season, he was on fire. He was mm-hmm. really hot. There were like 10 matches where he was just scoring. Like, he was scoring. Um, he was looking, and he was looking like the best midfielder, not just in Serie A, but in Europe. Uh, and then naturally what happened was we did not have enough midfield depth behind him. He had to play every single match, and the wheels started to fall off. Yep. I'm optimistic that, you know, Rome was able to have this type of rotation and able to have, you know, not their captain out and still play three very good midfielders, that this can turn into something where maybe Pellegrini doesn't play every match, but he does play the important matches and he's match fit enough for those important matches that, you know, it's not an issue for the club going forward. Yeah, I mean, even in today's, I put the problems together for tomorrow's match against Sheriff, and and I said part of the issue last season was lack of depth. Right, it caught up with Romo, especially when they tried to play on two fronts in the in the latter half of the season when it was all right, we're pushing for top four uh, because up until about March they did, and and then things kind of went awry there, and it was also let's push for this Europa League crown, which. Mourinho today in his pre-match presser still maintained that in his mind, Roma won that match because of the refereeing decisions in that match. That's a whole nother conversation. But Pinto's job, I said, was to not only improve the overall quality of the squad, but to improve the overall quality of the depth. And we saw on Sat- uh, Sunday that there is more quality, especially in the midfield. They did lose Nemanja Matic, which I think it was a loss in some regards in the defensive phase of the game. We saw that the first few matches. But in terms of what Sanchez brings, if he's healthy, uh, what Paredes, Mourinho is hoping he can do, when Cristante plays like he played on Sunday, I mean, haters be damned. He was the highest rated player on SofaScore. I saw the player ratings after the match that they gave out. He, he was Roma's highest rated player. What you saw on the pitch, uh, you know, you went along with that, that he had a great match. I mean, the goal was an absolute screamer. Um, and he, he was a big part of the own goal by Grassi because he was the one that just was just about to shoot it before Grassi basically shot it for him and, and put the ball in the back of the net. Um, this Roma team does have better depth. I think Pellegrini's an interesting point because his haters are going to be out there saying, you know what, this proves we're better without him and all this and yada, yada, yada. But you need Pellegrini and Sanchez and Paredes and Awar, who actually wasn't able to make this match, and Bove to some extent, and Cristante, to all be really fit and consistent throughout the season. I think if Roma's going to compete in Serie A for top four, compete for a Europa League final again, and hopefully get over the top this time, and also compete, hopefully, to make a push in the Coppa Italia, which they haven't really done in a while, because even when the path looked pretty, you know, uh, satisfying last year, like it was a place where they could make a run, they went and lost to a team that got relegated. Uh, So this is a year that I think they do have the depth and the attacking depth, because of the quality brought in in the form of Lukaku and then as Moon as a third striker, I think there's more quality depth there now too. You did lose Tammy, but if Lukaku plays like we've, we've seen him play in the, the little bit he's played for Roma, he looks hungry. 
he's a better striker than Tammy Abraham. I mean, his, his track record proves it. He's a different type of striker too. And he's, he's more set up for what Roma wants to do, especially against the bigger teams when they want to play on the counterattack and you want somebody to hold up the ball and run off him. Uh, he can do that a lot better than Tammy or Belotti can. And even Belotti, credit to him. He came off the bench, you know, after he had a couple of really good matches to start the season. He didn't hang his head. He came off the bench and had two assists, uh, including one to Lukaku. I mean, if you're a Roma fan, and we haven't seen seven goals in, I, I don't even know how long. I mean, the, the last time they scored seven, I think, in a Serie A match was like my first, one of my first seasons as a, a Tifosi back when they walloped uh, Catania in Serie A. By, uh, they scored seven, and then they gave up seven to Man U later in the season. Because I remember this because that was during my study abroad in Italy during my college years. And I remember um, one of, uh, I think it was one of my, my family members who I got to meet when I was down there said it to me like, you go out and score seven, you got to watch out because then it's kind of like karma. It comes back around and, and it hits you because, you know, teams don't really run up the score like that, especially back 15 or so years ago, teams didn't really run up run up the score line to seven too often. Um, in Serie A, especially, well, Roma did, and then it it, it came back and, and United. We know we don't want to talk about that because that's thankfully now ancient history. And, and it's nice to see Roma score seven in a match. Um, this Empoli side worse than I I thought. Um, I thought they would be a team that would probably be safe. I'm not so sure about that now because they've got no points in four. Sacked their coach. Um, they have Inter looming on the weekend, so they're, they're you can't take too much away in terms of like them doing it against like a Fiorentina or Atalanta or somebody like that or even a Bologna. But man, it feels good to score seven. And I think, like you said, Pellegrini looked so good before the injuries and and the overwork. Now you have a good debate. Like who should it's who should start in a good way, not because everybody's playing like garbage and you're like, oh my goodness, our midfield is is trash. Like this guy has to start by default. Now there's actual competition. And the funny thing to me is, and, and a lot of people who don't like him are probably going to be over here like shaking their heads or worse at me, but Brian Cristante continues to be a fixture in the midfield, no matter who else is playing around him. And people, I think that's yeah, by design. I don't think accept, that's by default. Yeah, people need to accept that Roma has had so many different managers of different stripes. And now the Italian national team has also had several different managers of different stripes. They've all thought that Cristante was a starter level for an important side. Like, yeah, that's just kind of the way that it goes. And I know that he's not necessarily the flashiest player, but at the same time, you don't want 11 Paolo Dybala's. I mean, right. I would. That'd be pretty cool to watch. But you know what I mean. Like you can't, you can't, you can't win a game with eleven players who have flair, and that's it. And with Brian Cristante, the issue always with the criticisms of him is that it's kind of similar to how I guess maybe he's kind of like the midfielder version of peak Leandro Castan to me, uh, in the sense that. When Castan was paired with Marquinhos and Medi Benatia, that defense was rock solid. The prob- but the problem was that like it wouldn't have worked without Castan being kind of the calming presence in the defense. Marquinhos and Benatia got to do crazy things and be kind of man-marking and just look very publicly out there as great defenders because they knew that there was a guy paired with them who had their back. 
that's how this always seems to work in football, that there's a guy with flair and there's a guy who, you know, does the dirty work to make sure that the guy with flair can get the job done. Yeah. And I would say that Cristante generally does that. And that, let's just be honest and say, remember, that was not his role at Atalanta. Uh, when he came to Roma, he was a major player in terms of goal scoring. Uh, I believe one season he even cracked double digits. And the fact that he has repeatedly taken on roles that are maybe a little bit less glamorous, it's definitely done a lot to ingratiate him with different managers, for sure. I think that's a huge reason why a lot of coaches love him, because he's willing to do what it takes to win. Uh, but beyond that, I would just say he's a regular starter for the Italian national team. We can quibble about how good the Italian national team is right now, but that's another conversation. But he's a regular starter for the Azzurri. And he's also a guy who seems to be a pretty key locker room presence as well. Uh, players constantly seem to talk about it. I and mean, you, you read articles about how much he's a key player in this locker room. Uh, and I think that going forward, one of the things that's been really important for the club over the past couple seasons has been developing some institutional memory of winning as opposed to institutional memory of losing. And that core of Italian players, Pellegrini, Mancini, and Cristante are the three that I generally think of as like the consistent guys on this team for the past several years. They're helping develop that institutional memory of, you know, winning the Europa mm -hmm. Conference League. Knock on wood, hopefully being able to get deep into the Europa League again like those are things that are going to help make it so that Roma isn't in a situation where nobody's been there before uh that's a huge factor with this and not only not that people have been there before but been there before with Roma uh, that's the way that you develop a positive mentality at a club by having winners and winners at the club already winning begets winning and winning at the club begets winning at the club so I think he's a pretty critical player, even when he doesn't score fantastic goals and set up great assists. But it was quite nice to see him get a little bit of recognition for being the player that you and I seem to agree is a pretty critical one for the side. Yeah, and I'm just going to read off the stat line because it, it, it's fairly impressive. He had a goal and two assists. He had the most shot-creating actions on the team with six, the most goal-creating actions on the team with four. Um, also led the team in recoveries in this match with 12, which was double more than the next player, which was Indica. Um, I mean, he, he did it on the offensive end. He did it on the defensive end, just cleaning up the mess when Empoli did have some, some possession. Um, impressive. Very impressive numbers. Um, and this wasn't a match that Roma dominated possession. It was 53-47. They just dominated on the scoreboard. I mean, starting it early with a Paolo Dybala penalty two minutes in certainly sets the tone, but they didn't just score that penalty, and then we, we've seen them in the past kind of not keep the foot on the on the gas, right? Sanchez scored eight minutes in. Nice cross from Christensen. That was something we were looking for, like, who's going to be crossing balls in because we need wingbacks who can cross because we, we we were thinking more for Lukaku and Belotti, but there's Sanchez making a nice run and, and heading home a goal. Mancini had a headed goal in this one. I mean, we talked about Cristante's rocket. Dybala was unlucky not to have a hat trick. He hit the post on that one uh, free kick, which was, which was struck very well. Um, of course, Lukaku scoring is a great sign. I mean, it, it, the goals were flying in from everywhere. Everyone was involved. Um, first clean sheet of the season, which is always nice. Um, it's funny because Mourinho has actually said that Svilar will play in the Sheriff match tomorrow. By the time most of you listen to this, probably it'll have passed already. But 
He said the reason for him playing was not because Patricio played poorly on the weekend, but because now he feels that he's in a good position. He got his first clean sheet, um, and it gives him an opportunity to play Svilar. He said if, if Patricio hadn't had a clean sheet on Sunday, he probably would have played Patricio again in goal on Thursday afternoon. So that kind of shows where Mourinho is with the, the goalkeeper rotation, how to him, he had to get Patricio that good feeling before he could even think about playing Svilar, and it Luckily, it worked out in the, in the way that he wanted to, um, because Patricio is also getting up there in age, and you know we know some of the issues he's had, but also you don't want to overwork him either at this age. Um, so that that's a good sign. We talked about the midfield. I mean, the forward position, great stuff going on there. I mean, obviously this this will be listened to by most people before sheriff uh, after sheriff, but before the Torino match, I mean. What does this mean for Roma, do you think, going forward? I mean, hopefully, by the time people listen, they'll have scored three or four goals at Sheriff, I think, is is the hope. Um, And that the offense keeps clicking. And even with, I think, tomorrow, probably some rotation up front. Maybe that's a match for Belotti and El Shirari. Could be an opportunity for them. A little rotation in the midfield. Maybe Bove gets a start. And then Sunday, you you bring the big guns back in Turin. That'll be a true test of this uh, attack, I think, too. Because Torino, led by Juric... um, his sides are always tough to break down. We remember his Hellas sides, and, and Torino's got one of the better defensive records in the league last year, too, from what I remember. So I think Roma has to build on this momentum. It's never easy in Serie A. We saw what happened with Napoli against Genoa on the weekend. They gave up two goals and were down 2 nothing, and, and needed two goals to come back and even get a point out of that match. So we can't take any match for granted. Um but I, I think Roma has to show that they can build on this, right? They show that they can be clinical. They show that they can create chances. I think we're going to need a couple more in the next few matches of, like, two-goal performances, whether it's a 2 nothing win, a 2-1 win. Um, you know, you'll take a one nothing win if you get it. But I think what I want to see is this ruthlessness and attack more often. I'm not expecting seven. That doesn't happen very often in football. But some twos and some threes would look really nice going forward, especially if the defense is finding its footing. Yeah, I 100% agree with you that, you know, we should be looking for two zeros, three zeros, or at least multi-goal performances uh, from the club going forward. As it relates to the Sheriff match, uh, I've seen rumors, again, this will be kind of a moot point by the time this is airing, but, you know, of both Zvilar and Belotti starting uh, seems to be the general vibe. And I'm pretty happy for that because... Roma, as I said, needs to have multiple weapons at each position to be successful in multiple competitions. Uh, Mourinho is very good at getting a club deep into a competition. The problem is that if you don't have the depth to succeed once you get deep into a competition and there are two matches a week or three matches a week in the spring, that's when you really have problems. Uh, so I'm hopeful that, you know, Belotti can get, pick up some forms. Vilar can show himself to be a acceptable backup, at least for some of the easier matches in the Europa League, uh, so that players are able to not play the full 90 at the very least. Uh, I think that's really the key here, making sure that there's enough depth at the club that it's not a requirement for Roma's five or six best players to always play every single match until they're legs go fall apart like that's the key um something that i just want to discuss on the empoli thing before we move forward though is uh man it would be pretty good for like as much as i don't wish relegation on any club other than lazio um 
it would be pretty good if Empoli went I down. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, <laughs> it would make it a lot easier for us to sign uh, Tommaso Baldanzi next summer. Uh, I got to say, he's been one of the few bright spots for them this season to date. And I think that'll continue. He's probably the most exciting like attacking midfielder prospect in the Italian youth setup right now. He's 20 years old. Uh, his agent spoke with uh, Sport Media set two weeks ago and said that the two clubs that have really been looking at him this past summer were Fiorentina and Roma. Uh, and he's, you know, hoping to find a buyer either this winter or this summer. My guess is if Roma gets that Champions League money, there are a lot of things that we should actually probably discuss next because there were some rumors coming out about what might need to happen to keep Mourinho around with that Champions League money. But my guess is that there will be a prioritization of a spe- specifically a vice Dybala. I think that really is the next step for rounding out the depth of the club because Dybala is fantastic, but Roma cannot live and die by a more injury-prone player in perpetuity, even if we extend his contract, which I think we probably will, just based off of everything I've been reading. Uh, you need a guy who's younger, who's able to come in and play in the same way that, you know, Eduardo Bove is able to come in and spell Brian Cristante on a regular basis at this point, or Nikola Zalewski is able to push for a starting spot in the starting 11. You need those players to be able to, again, create a situation where we're not just saying, oh man, Lorenzo Pellegrini had a really great two months to start the season, and then he suddenly stopped playing well after playing 90 minutes two times a week for two months. I wonder what happened there. Like, we don't want to be in that situation with our best players. So I'm hopeful that if the club is able to kind of turn the ship around a little bit, take this as a more more of a start to the season than the first three matches were, uh, that we can be looking at some good reinforcements both in January and June. Yeah, so let's take a quick break and then talk a little bit about the the Mourinho stuff that you were talking about there, Jim. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, so Jim, you referenced it. We'll we'll wrap with the Empoli episode or portion of the episode there, just because it's it's been a few days since that match. I will throw on one thing I did notice in the uh, the the stat line. I did see the DiBala free kick hit the post. Roma actually hit two posts in that match, so even when they score seven, the woodwork still finds Roma. Uh, just to yeah. keep it lighthearted and remember who we are, because that <laughs> we are like uh, AS Woodwork so often. So it's glad it's good to see that so many went in when we did hit two posts, because a lot of time two posts come back and bite us. But uh, Mourinho, you mentioned Mourinho. I mean, he has been the the main man in Rome, and you know, a lot of people always talk about oh, the third year Mourinho. That's when things go haywire. And when Roma had lost the first few matches, one of my buddies who's a Liverpool fan who watches a lot of Premier League, he's like, ah, you know, third year Mourinho, and here they are losing these this match to Milan after they lost the match to, to you know Hellas, and he's skipping press conferences, you know. Yeah. Um, so this win certainly gives a good feeling, but that lingering question still swirls. Like, what is it going to take? Is, is Mourinho even interested in coming back for another season? So what, what, what is the latest you saw, Jim? So basically there were two different things that were kind of related rumors that we should probably discuss in the same context, which is that, uh, Roma's probably intending on discussing a renewal for Mourinho, uh, in December during the Christmas break. Uh, and the second part of it is that for Mourinho to stay with the club, his demands are probably are around the ideas that he wants to bring in 
an executive who can kind of take the media pressure off him because let's just be honest, he beats up on the refs too much. It's good to have somebody kind of taking the friendly fire if possible. Um, and he also wants to see Lukaku and Dybala stick around for the long term. Uh, that makes sense to me. Um, if I was Mourinho, I'd probably want to do that too. I wouldn't want to sign a renewal only for my two most important players to hit the road. Uh, the interesting thing that came out in the past, you know, 24 hours was that Gazette of Della Spore said that there's a 37 million euro uh, release clause for Roma or option to buy uh, for Lukaku written into the loan contract. And Roma's pretty much, you know, barring an injury, barring other things like that, uh, looks like they're going to try to keep him around in a permanent sense. So my my sense is that those two things are probably pretty linked. That if Roma keeps playing well and they decide that they want to keep Mourinho around and they get Champions League football, that they'll try to keep Lukaku around on that 37 million euro deal. And then, you know, I don't know if selling low on Tammy Abraham makes the most sense uh, this sum next summer, but with the rumors about Marcos Leonardo with Sardar Asmun brought in, like with Andrea Bellotti here, like there's obviously kind of a glut at striker if Lukaku becomes a permanent deal. So it does make me think that there would be some tweaking of the forward contingent. Uh, but obviously a lot of this just hinges on if Mourinho signs, if Dybala signs, which I could have told you two weeks ago, which I could have told you the day after the, the summer Mercado closed that like Roma's hopes hinge on Champions League qualification and they hinge on Mourinho and Dybala sticking around. Uh, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense, especially, especially Dybala and, and probably Lukaku too. I mean, we've only seen Lukaku for a, a match and uh, a few minutes so far, but he has looked good. But I do think a lot of it has to do with how he performs, you know, if they're not going to discuss with Mourinho till December, heck, you're going to get a, a pretty good sample size of Lukaku before that for Mourinho to officially make that demand if it comes to it. And and obviously, that's going to be dependent on Champions League money. Roma's not going to splash $37 million without the Champions League money because even if you can flip Tammy for, say, those 37 to to be able to afford Lukaku, is that the where you want to throw all 37 if you don't have Champions League? I don't know. Um, but it, it makes sense that he's going to want a side that's able to compete because for those guys to stick around, at least Lukaku, you need the Champions League money. Dybala might be happy enough to stay and sign the extension without the Champions League, but at some point he's going to want to play back in the Champions League. He was used to playing for Juve for so many seasons. Um, I mean, from what we've seen so far, I'd take Mourinho back for sure. I know other people have, you know, will tire of him and, and his antics. I think getting an executive in place, whether it's Totti or someone else, because his name has been linked, someone who can take that meaty heat off him, I think is a great idea because it puts him under a lot of extra pressure that he maybe doesn't need to deal with. And uh, somebody else can feel those refereeing questions that won't get Mourinho banned from the sidelines so often and things like that. Um, he's banned tomorrow from the sidelines, right? I, mean, I forget how many matches UEFA gave him for, for the Europa League, but he's definitely missing a, a few matches. He said it himself in uh, the presser today, you know, that he won't be on the sideline tomorrow. So um he trusts his assistants he trusts his deputies but he'd love to be there um i was always curious what was going to happen with this and, and it's good to see at least that roma's planning to have these discussions by mid-season because i don't think you want to get to the end of the season without at least some framework in place that 
even if Mourinho says, I'm only coming back if we qualify for Champions League, at least you have some framework in place to know what your plan is if you qualify for Champions League. And then maybe you have a fallback plan if you don't. And maybe who's your list B candidates? Um, but I think with the Friedkins trying to raise the profile of Roma uh, and keep bringing in players of the quality they've been bringing in, the Indicas and and the Awars on freeze and then Dybala on a free and Lukaku on loan. These things I don't think happen without Mourinho. I said it on, on past episodes. And um, I think to keep that profile going, the next step is to get Champions League and hopefully have Mourinho managing in the Champions League because he is the ultimate serial winner in the Champions League. Him and Carlo Ancelotti are, are the two names that jump to mind of current coaches that really make made a lot of, uh, you know, got a lot of silverware in the Champions League, right? Um, so I think I think it would be wise. We'll see how the season plays out. $37 million for Lukaku is a fairly hefty price for a club like Roma, considering he's into his 30s. But I think it's one of those things that if the window is the next two to three years to so maybe make a push for a Scudetto if Mourinho's around, then you, it's probably a move you make if the money's there. Yeah, I mean, I agree that if the money's there, you make the move. I also think that kind of going back to what you were saying before about the Indicas and the Awars of the world wanting to come to Roma. I kind of think that Roma already showed their hand with their intentions for Mourinho and Dybala by signing the free agents of that caliber. Uh, I don't think like granted everyone says this, like, let me put, let me put it this way. Matic said that he was really impressed by the project at Ren when he signed rent with Ren. So take it with a grain of salt. But in my humble opinion, if you're one of the top free agents in Europe looking to sign with a club, you don't go somewhere where you think that the manager, who's a A-level star manager, is going to be leaving after a season. You go to a place where you think there's going to be some consistency, where you think that there's a long-term plan that makes sense. And so to me, the fact that Awar and Indica came to Roma kind of gives the game away uh, in terms of Roma's intentions with Mourinho. Now, Mourinho might choose to leave. Dybala might choose to leave. But in my opinion, it seems pretty obvious to me that the intention for the club is to get Champions League football and then renew Mourinho and Dybala and probably sign Lukaku on a permanent deal. Uh, This club has made serious commitments over the past couple years to signing at least one I would say superstar level talent each summer. Um, first, it was Mourinho. Second, it was Dybala. This past summer, it was Lukaku. And to a certain extent, Renato Sanchez. I don't see them backtracking on that. If anything, I think that they're going to try to find a way to get more juice out of the stone and bring in another star level player to the side. That, that's just how they've operated over the past three years of the Friedkin era. And I don't really see that changing. Yeah. And I was just going to to add to that with, along those same lines. If Mourinho's around and Nenny has Champions League and Roma has a little more money to spend, if he's been able to bring, you know, Roma's been able to bring in with his help, Dybala on a free, Lukaku on a, a last minute loan, possibly a permanent move, Awar, Indica, guys that were sought after by other clubs, especially Indica was linked with like Barca and some other clubs at different points through the season last year. Um, then maybe they can bring in a, another star at center back or at wing where they, they're a little bit, um, you know, under, under not undermanned because they have the bodies, but quality wise are a little bit underwhelming at times. 
Maybe that's the position they target next year. Get get some wing backs that can play from Reno or he, maybe he goes back to his four two three one, and you bring in players that can play out wide over there. But I think you're right. I think if <clears throat> these discussions pan out, Roma gets Champions League, the money's there. Maybe the money from Champions League group stage qualification gets you Lukaku, and then maybe the money from moving on from Abraham gets you a player in a different position that has star qualities, and that can really grow at the club. And, and if I think you're right in terms of the, you brought up Baldanzi before, if you bring in a player like that, who's developmental for 15, 20 million euros, maybe from an Empoli, and then you bring in a star at a different position, you're really building that quality depth that Mourinho can really cook in the league and in the champions league. And maybe Baldanzi turns into your long-term replacement for Dybala in a few years. And it also gives you the quality maybe to compete for a Scudetto in another season or two, because that's ultimately got to be Roma's goal. Um, champions of qualification is the sh- short-term goal, but I think longer-term, the Freakins want to lift that Scudetto that Roma hasn't lifted in over 20 years now. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I think this also goes hand-in-hand hand with the stadium, which has been the case for decades, if yeah. we're being honest. Uh, there's a reason why Juventus has had so much success in the league compared to pretty much every other club. There's a reason why Inter and AC Milan are so desperate to get their own stadium that they actually own as opposed to rent. And there's a reason why Roma's been banging their head up against Roman bureaucracy for the past decade and a half trying to get the stadium done. It's really what separates the haves from the have-nots of the European Mm -hmm. football world at this point, even more so than being owned by some oil state. Like, really, it's... The, the haves have their own stadiums and the have-nots are renting. And until Rome was able to get out from leasing the Olimpico and develop their own Stadio della Roma, I think that will be the step that probably is what will enable Roma to consistently put together a Scudetto contender as opposed to a Champions League level contender. I think that's really the gap there. I think Roma can probably put together a Champions League level contender now like i don't think that yeah. there's i i think that's feasible like a side that can consistently compete for top four is feasible now a side that can compete that can compete for the scudetto and or the champions league itself will require a stadium agreed uh, consistently to consistently do it yeah. like you can have that one great season like napoli had last year where everything comes together yeah uh, without that revenue um, you know, the, the two years prior is the two Milan clubs at one, they don't own their stadium either, but they are bigger clubs historically than Roma and they've, they've got a bigger, um, you know, revenue sources traditionally, but you look at what Juve did, but 10, 10 years in a row with a stadium of their own, bringing in that revenue and nobody was able to compete with them. Now, COVID kind of, as we see, ruined that for them because things went awry and they covered it up for a little bit and got away with the first season or two, but then, then the proverbial shit hit the fan last season. Um, and we see what happens to them now. Now they're not even in, even in the conference league, right? They're not in the Europa league conference league or champions league, but they're playing well again. And here they are in, in the top three. Um, so it just shows what a stadium can do to help you kind of fix things. If you're able to correct the books and Roma, that that's the thing too. They've been working to correct the books now for a couple of years under the free kids. Yeah. So if the books are corrected in time and then, uh, you know, they get the champions league qualification as a first step, if that stadium eventually comes, Mourinho probably won't be around anymore because that's by the time you build a, a you know sixty five thousand C stadium or whatever it ends up being, it's going to take some some years. 
Yeah. But at least the foundation has been set. And and I think the Mourinho's legacy, if all goes according to plan at this point for the Friedkins, I think at the very least, even if he doesn't win a Scudetto, say he does extend for two or three more seasons, he's here five years or so. Say he gets them back to Champions League. They're competing at least in the top two or three, pretty close to the Scudetto. And then they get that stadium uh, maybe, say, three years from now or something, three, four years, right? And then another manager, I'm going to throw out a dream, maybe like a Deserby by then, is, is really established, right, after he was linked with us That'd be before, great. He, before yeah. he became really big, right? Um, and he's the guy that wins a Scudetto. Or De Rossi comes back after cutting his teeth somewhere and wins a Scudetto. I think Mourinho's legacy, at the very minimum, with that Conference League trophy, with reaching Europa League final, hopefully a trophy this year maybe, if, if all goes well, or at least Champions League qualification and Roma's back consistently in the Champions League because their finances are, are in good order and he's brought in good players for them with you know Tiago Pinto in tandem, obviously, because uh, he's not the one actually signing the players, he, but he does some of the recruiting aspects mm-hmm. of it. He's laid the foundations for Roma to, again, be a stable club, a competitive club, a club that can win trophies and people believe can win trophies. I think if, if even if that's his legacy at a club like Roma, that, that's, that's a big deal, I think. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think that you listen to what Mourinho's press conferences have been like basically since he signed with the club. And you get the sense that, first of all, compared to the three-year cycle that he's always been on, he feel, it seems like he's more invested in developing long-term connections to the club than he was, you know, pretty much anywhere. Uh, I would also say that he's talking about development in ways that I haven't really heard him talk about uh, prior to being in Roma. So my guess here is that they sign him to another two-year extension so that he'd be there for like five years total. Uh, and we'll see what happens there. Does that include a, Scud- a Luke Scudetto without the consistent stadium money? Maybe. I wouldn't be overly shocked if Rome was able to get that Champions League money that that could happen. Uh, but I do think that it will take some time regardless. Uh, and I, But the thing is, Everyone from the freaking down, freakins down at the club right now seems to recognize that this is actually a long-term project, yeah. which is refreshing compared to how Roma has so often operated in the past. Um, under Palota, the club acted like it was caring about long-term projects and did not. Uh, the, whether it was the ownership decisions or the decisions of, of direct sport, sporting directors, uh, managers were always on way too hot of a seat. Uh, players were shipped out or deemed busts way too quickly. Uh, and there was just not the idea of long-term investment that I yeah. feel like I see from the likes of Tiago Pinto and um, the freaking group right now, which leaves me optimistic. I, I think that there's a lot to be optimistic about, and maybe it's that 7-0 Empoli win coloring my optimism a little yeah. bit. I'll admit that it is. Uh, but at the same time, I would have felt this way in a general sense, even a couple weeks ago, uh, just because I don't know anyone who's feeling skeptical about Roma's long-term plan. I feel like you should just read Tiago Pinto's press conference. Those things are usually pretty illustrative more than I felt that they have been with other sporting directors. Uh, so I would just say there's a lot of good things to be happy about if you're a Roma fan right now. Yeah, for sure. And We'll have to see how it pans out, how the season plays out, how those discussions go, if if things are going well and Marino decides he wants to come back. And, and we'll see 
if any of the stuff we're talking about is even relevant next season or if he isn't back next season, we'll see. But in the shorter term, tomorrow's Sheriff Jim. Obviously, we're not going to talk too much about that because, like we had mentioned, we're recording Wednesday night. It's going to, by the time this publishes, it'll be probably match time or after post match. So let's look at Torino just for a quick minute before we go. So it feels great to win 7 0. But when we look at the table, Roma still has four points in four matches, which is good enough for 12th place on goal differential. Uh, the goal differential looks a lot better when you win by seven goals because now it's a plus five. Um, but you look at the table. I mean, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read you this top seven, and you tell me if there was any shot in hell you would have predicted this through four match weeks or any match weeks um, at the end of August. So we have Inter on twelve, perfect record, unbeaten, uh, thirteen goals scored, one allowed. So uh, that you know they're gonna be tough to catch for anybody at this point. They're, they're showing their their qualities. Uh, Juve, three wins and a draw, 10 points. Milan, three wins and a loss, nine points. And then it's fourth place, Lecce. Uh, shout out to Puglia, where my family uh, originally hails from. They have eight points through four matches, and they're actually technically unbeaten still with two wins and two draws. Then it's Napoli, Frosinone, and Torino. Um, also, Fiorentina and Verona are level with them on seven points. So, not what you would have expected. No. Uh, Roma has to focus on Torino on Sunday, but it just shows where the, where the table's kind of wonky. Atalanta's down in 10th. Lazio, God bless them, are down in 15th with their one win that they pulled off over Napoli and then got absolutely dismantled by Juve. So they're they're very Jekyll and Hyde. Um, just goes to show you that the table is wide open for Roma. That's kind of why I brought up the table. But Roma's going to have to start piling up the points, right? This is Roma's calendar coming up. Like we said, Sheriff tomorrow. Torino uh, away on Sunday. Genoa midweek next week away. Frosinone at home on October 1st. Um... Then they're home for Servette from Switzerland in the Europa League, away to Cagliari, home to Monza, home for Slavia Prague, and then finally at the end of October is when they get their next big boy in Inter on October 29th. Obviously can't overlook any of those clubs. Um, on paper, probably Torino's the toughest, I'd say, yeah, in terms of based on the last couple of years' track record and mm-hmm. how they've started this year. So... It's going to be a tough one. I mean, you know, they, they do these, like, metrics before the match. Google always has them in their match previews. Percent of chance of winning. Roma's at 38%. Torino at 31%, which is pretty tight. Um, what are you looking for from Roma on Sunday against a, a tough Torino side? I mean, clearly I'm looking for a win here. Uh, I think that anything other than that, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. And that's not to diminish Torino and what they've done already in the league. That's just to say that all that stuff that we were talking about before, about Roma trying to be a club that can juggle multiple competitions and be a consistent Champions League side, you got to be the Torinos of the world. There's no, there's not really a, there's not a way for you to get to where you want to go as a club if you're Roma without being able to say, yeah, we can beat a club whose best player is probably Zapata. Uh, Roma needs to be better than that. And whether that's by winning 1-0, by winning 2-0 or 2-1, it's got to be a win because as much as I was saying before that I feel about as good as I could possibly feel from four points out of 12, uh, I still, you know, will feel bad if if that becomes, you know, four points out of 15. Yeah. That would be pretty unsustainable uh yeah I, I think that's just about it 
Uh, I'm I'm expecting a decent amount of rotation as we already discussed for the Sheriff match. I'm hoping that means that we can really put our strongest starting 11 out there against Torino. Uh, looking ahead to the rest of the matches that Rome is going to be playing over the next couple weeks, I agree with you that the Torino match is probably the most difficult because Servette, I mean, you know, I said this in our, my match preview for Sheriff, like knock on wood with all of these sides in the Europa League, man, I don't want to get our assets handed to us by some no-name side. I, that happened to us recently. I don't want it to happen again. Um, but the matches that worry me, probably the next one that really worries me is Inter on October 29th. Uh, Roma should be winning every match between then, between now and then, in my opinion. And the Europa League ones, like if they don't win all of them, it's not the end of the world. Based off of the start that they've had to the season, it is a lot closer to the end of the world if they drop points against Genoa, Rotinone, Cagliari, Monza. Like it it makes it so that those matches against the big boys have to be wins. And you don't want to be in that situation. Like the way that you win a Champions League qualification or win a Scudetto isn't by beating the best clubs every single time. It's by winning enough against all the worst clubs so that you can afford to have a draw here and a draw there yeah. or a loss to the here and a loss there against the other top four sides because their, their quality is going to see them through sometimes. They're just going to be days where they, they are better than you. Um, you got to win against the smaller sides to be able to get what Roma wants. And at this point, apologies to Torino, Torino does count as one of those sides. Yeah, and having dropped five points already in two matches between Salernitana and Verona, these matches become must win, not must win because there's always a chance after you know a Thursday then a Sunday you you could slip up. But Roma has to limit any slip ups in this stretch heading into that Inter match at the end of October. On paper, we'd we'd hope they'd win all these matches and pile up let's say three, six, nine, fifteen points in the league before Inter. Yeah, will it happen? Knowing Roma, probably not. But maybe hopefully 13 of those 15 would be, I think, a, a, a good point. And 15 would be icing on the cake. But if they come out of that with like seven, then it's a problem, right? In the league, yep. because then, then you're really digging yourself a hole and you're not taking advantage of the slow starts by Lazio and Atalanta and some of those clubs. So I think Torino, the main thing I'm looking for is to see if the offense can click again. Torino has three clean sheets, um, but they did concede four to Milan in a 4-1 loss. They don't score a ton. They were 0-0 in their first match. Um, and then they lost the match to Milan 4-1. They got a, a very late winner, 1-0 against, I believe it was, let me just double check, uh, Genoa. It was like a 90-something minute goal. And then they did end up putting three on Salernitana this past weekend. So they've got five goals scored and four conceded in four matches, which speaks to their defensive stability for the most part. But also they don't have a lot of offensive prowess. Duvon's Potts is over there. He might be hungry to score against us after the, the transfer saga. So hopefully uh, yeah, the back line is on. As much as that might be a thing, I don't know. Yeah. I read the interviews afterwards. He didn't seem to blame Roma for that. He was more upset with Atalanta because it was very clear that what was being reported in the news was the truth, that Gasparini basically just said, no, he's not going to Rome. And then a week later was like, oh, you want to leave to Torino? That's fine. So yeah. like he was upset that he was deprived of playing in Rome more than anything. I don't think he's going to have any ill will towards the club itself he he still might score for all we know but i don't think that's i don't think it's like a spurned lover type situation um so that that's my big thing is to see how they can keep up the attack and we don't know like i said how it's going to play out tomorrow hopefully they get a few goals 
and then they can build on that momentum from the seven. I know I look at a lot of the lines that the, the books throw out there, just kind of get a gauge on how, you know, Vegas is feeling about these matches or the European, whoever put out the, 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 the Calcio lines, but for Roma to score over one and a half goals, they always do one and a half as a team total over. A lot of the time, if Roma's playing a team that they should beat and maybe score two goals against, you're somewhere around even money. They're at almost two to one right right now, which means that the books are thinking Torino's defense trumps Roma's offense from scoring two goals for the most part. Yeah. So that just kind of goes to show how people who handicap these matches are thinking. I think Roma's fully capable of scoring two. Uh, I I really hope they do. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be if they could score two against the Torino side on Sunday. I think they have a, a good enough defense to hold them to one or less, and I think we get three points. And I think two goals against a Urich managed side feels really good for the players too, because it's going to be a tough team to break down. And if they do get those two, I think they're going to feel really gratified getting those two goals and build a little more momentum into that midweek against Genoa. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I'm hopeful that by the time that we're talking next, uh, that we're discussing more Roma wins, both in the Europa League and against three. Yeah, for sure. So we'll end it here. Hopefully you enjoyed the chat about Mourinho. And of course, it's always nice to talk about seven goals. We'll catch you guys next week. Uh, probably in between the Sunday Torino match and that Thursday general match. So thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again soon.